Through the magic of through the Jesus what? Christ. Through the magnet? <laughs> Do you want to go back in time and try that again? No. No, I don't. Because <laughs> this is a podcast. This is another episode of Soon to Be a Major Motion Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Beck. I am your other host, Cody Beck. And we like to read books and watch the movies that were adapted from those books and chat about them. Well, I don't know if like is, is an accurate descriptor of this week you know what's unfortunate is uh my idea for this pod was uh i kind of want to watch a trashy movie and i was upset by how (laughs) mediocre and not trash the movie was (laughs) it was not bad enough i was like huh this is kind of okay (laughs) a joke just for you like the 2016 1976ers 1776. Jesus, I messed every part of that up. I don't even know what you're referring to. Oh, where they were like too shit to break the record for being shit? Yes. It was like 2015, yeah. Was it 2015? I don't fucking remember. They were like trash and good and then trash and I don't know. Fuck the Sixers. No, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna cut that. (laughs) Cut that. I'm giving myself. You'll get get attacked by the city of Philadelphia. I'm giving myself so much to edit already. I love the Sixers. They're just my least favorite of the Philly teams. Um, but before we get into what we talked about, how was your week? How was your, uh, since we last recorded? It's been a good, like, 20 days since we last recorded. <laughs> um, well, we went on a trip. We did. We went on a trip. We went to Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. Uh, we had a wonderful time. We saw several shows. Uh, we <laughs> s- <laughs> there were titties in one of them. <laughs> We saw Absinthe, which was, if you're not familiar, is like a... It's like it's like a sexy, circus? raunchy circus-themed yeah. thing. It's a lot of fun. Um, I think those were the, the best drinks we had at any venue that wasn't a restaurant. Probably. I don't remember the drink, but also I drank a lot. <laughs> uh, we saw Fantasy at the Luxor. Did he? There were so many titties. So, I'd seen this show before. Mark. (laughs) (laughs) And afterwards, told Cody, you need to see this show. It's incredible. And she did not understand that when I said there were a lot of titties in this show, that I meant there were titties in this show. I did not realize that it was going to be full boob, nip out and all immediately. Like, yeah, like 90 seconds in. The opening number is the eight performers coming out and going, here's my tits. And then the rest of the show is the tits. I, I mean, like, I wasn't mad. I was basically <laughs> just sitting in a gay stupor for like 90% of the show because I was just like, there's so much happening. At the end of every number, I'd look over at Cody and her jaw would be on the floor and then she would remember to move and just <laughs> rapidly applaud because it was the greatest thing she'd ever seen. Uh, we also saw Piff the Magic Dragon. Oh, Piff. So I saw Piff on like YouTube in like 2012 and thought he was fucking brilliant with the way that he just went everyone knows what magic is and how it's done for the most part. I'm just going to be funny while I do it. And I've been wanting to see him live since then, and we finally got to see him live. I got to meet him. Mr. Piffles is a real dog, not on drugs. Well, we checked. <laughs> it's surprising how many jokes he makes about the dog either not being a real dog or being on drugs. Or how many jokes he makes about, like, killing the dog. <laughs> 
like numerous times he was like all right we're gonna have to take piffles to the back and put him down and then everyone went oh no and he's like on a nice cushion so we can have a nap but he yeah, was like I... ridiculing small children oh it was a delightful show it was wonderful also i had a very strong cocktail and we did not eat beforehand you had two very strong cocktails or no you had one i had because, one yes because I ordered, I'm not sure what, we ordered the two cocktails for the show, and I think we switched which one we wanted, and we ended One up was red, and one was blue, and both tasted good. I didn't, I clearly did not agree with you. Well, your opinions are wrong. Um, and then we, on the way in to Vegas, we always stop at Alien Fresh. It's on the way out. Wait. Wait. On Normally, the... so the very first time we went to Vegas, we stopped at Alien Fresh. On the way home. And then... Because you said on the way into Vegas. I'm getting there. Give me a minute. We never stopped on our way into Vegas. I'm so confused. <laughs> I was trying to say that normally we stop at Alien Fresh, but this time we stopped at Eddie World and we got some amazing candy. We don't normally stop at Alien Fresh on the way into Vegas, though. We stop at Alien Fresh. On the I'm way sorry home, I used every time. a prepositional phrase. You confused me. I hate you. <laughs> I am autistic. I take things literally, and you said a not fact. <laughs> As I a want a divorce. <laughs> Fine. Can't get the ring off. <laughs> I want to put the ring on the table with a satisfying clank, but it's not going to work because it's stuck. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> Sorry, Jane. A <laughs> real mom. Um, anywho, so Vegas was a delight. Yes. Uh, we stopped at Eddie World for candy instead of a random shop in in uh, Barstow, like we normally do. Yes. And we continued our tradition of yes. stopping at Alien Fresh Jerky on the way home for some novelty sodas. Yes. We didn't get jerky this time, We though. did not get any jerky but I'm okay this time. with it. We were still working our way through the through chonky the, Twizzlers that we got. The, the chonklers and the uh, Bonchon chicken we had for lunch. Oh, oh I miss you, Bonchon chicken. So good. Oh. More, more New York staples need to get out here. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, vacation was good. Of course, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, except for the casino crud I've got. Because <laughs> I've been working through a chest cold for like a week now. He tested. It's not COVID. COVID negative. This isn't Great Gatsby again. <laughs> uh, but uh, today's probably the first day I think I can reliably record for an hour without hacking up phlegm the whole time. Which is great, because this goes up in two days. Oh shit. Oh fuck. Oh shit. <laughs> What are we? What did we read and or watch, by the way? Uh, we watched the Time Machine. <laughs> I don't, I'm not even going to talk about the World Cup, I guess. <laughs> oh, we should probably talk about the World Cup. Yeah, the women got eliminated on Sunday. Uh, devastating blow. Uh, millimeter, literally down to a millimeter. Harshest exit from a tournament we've suffered ever, as a as a nation. And why do we still have that same coach that got us knocked out of the Olympics at the earliest point we've ever gotten knocked out of? As of 9 p.m. on Monday, August 7th, Flatko is still the coach of the U.S. Women's National Team, and I expect that to change by the end of this recording. It better. It fucking better. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just stepped all over your toes. I got shit I want to talk about that's not the time machine. <laughs> but I, I guess it's time. That we talk about... The time uh, machine. The time machine. The time machine. The time machine. The time machine. I suggested this one. Yes. Because back in the 10th grade, I had an English teacher, Mr. Fox. He was fucking awesome. He was like the in-stadium voice of the football team. 
Oh, God. Like, he was the announcer guy. I fucking loved this dude. Um, he just... I feel like he got me in a way that other teachers didn't get me. Um, but we had a term paper, midterm paper, whatever you want to call it. And we had a list of books that we could choose from. And on that list were... A Clockwork Orange was on there. Which, I'm glad I didn't read in 10th grade. It was on my short list. I flipped through it and I couldn't understand a word that they were saying. And I was like, I'm not going to try and uh, decode this shit. <laughs> I have video games to play. Um, Wells' The Time Machine was on that list. And Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide. So I couldn't decide between The Time Machine and Hitchhiker's Guide. So I bought them both at Barnes & Noble. Read The Time Machine probably that night and went, interesting. Because I'm into time travel. This was like the impetus of me getting really into time travel internally, right? Yeah, I'm a big fucking nerd. Who knew? Um, and then I started reading Hitchhiker's Guide. And by the time I wrote the paper, I was three books into Hitchhiker's Guide. <laughs> and I wrote the book about both. Mainly Hitchhiker's Guide, and I leaned into British comedy versus American comedy, and also how they use math and science for humor in Hitchhiker's Guide. But a bulk of that essay that I wrote was on time travel. Because there's a big chunk of it in the second Hitchhiker's Guidebook. Uh, the restaurant at the end of the universe is not at the distance end, it's at the time end. That's a great joke. I'm sorry if it's old. Still fucking works. But I also pulled parts from the time machine. And I cited both books in the essay. And I'm pretty sure I got an A on it for that. Because I went above and beyond. I liked the subject matter. What do you fucking want from me? Like, you didn't do the same shit, Cody. I did not. Anywho, <laughs> that paper I wrote probably two, three years after this movie came out. So it was not still in the zeitgeist, but I remember seeing ads for it. I think it was airing on TV at the time. So that's how I came to know The Time Machine. Didn't see the movie till this week. How about you, Cody? I had never read The Time Machine. I was familiar with the fact that it was by H.G. Wells. Uh, similar to you, it was not 10th grade. It was 7th grade. Oh, so the same year. <laughs> oh, I hate that. Me too. I hate that so much. Why did I say that out loud? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, that is confirmed. No, don't make me edit again. <laughs> so, uh... This... <laughs> uh... So we got put into groups in my English class and uh, our group got assigned the Invisible Man. I could not stand that book. It was like slogging through maple syrup. His prose was so dry and boring and the group that I was with was miserable. I was just, I hated every aspect of it. And I never, every time H.G. Wells popped up on anything after that, I was just like, fuck that guy. I want nothing to do with any of his works. So you didn't really like that I <laughs> chose the time machine this week, huh? I mean, I saw that it was only 100 pages, and I was like, all right, it can't be that bad. It took you three days! <laughs> It's okay. So, like, she came out into the living room one day, one night with the book in hand, reading it. She put the book upside down, holding the page, and didn't touch the book again for eighteen hours. Yeah. It just sat upside down on the coffee table. 
I'm sorry. If I wanted to listen to men who think they understand things better than me talk to me like I'm an idiot, I would Don't go you on dare Twitter. S- okay. Don't you dare say you would listen to me talk. Because <laughs> I can't handle that emotional damage right now. <laughs> no. Um, so, you're not a fan of his prose. Uh, yes. Let's listen to a trailer real quick, and then you can tell me about the book. Okay. His ideas were ahead of his time. It's your first year as associate professor. You might want to play things a little more conservatively. You sound just like my father. His discovery. Nothing will ever change. You're wrong. Because I will change it. Would take him there. Time travel. Why have you traveled through time? Now, the machine that will journey to the future. My ancestors survived here for millennia. This is a perversion of every natural law. Is the only thing. Please, you don't know. That can help him save it. This is the world. How can you just do nothing? Who are you? Brothers Pictures and DreamWorks Pictures. The most extraordinary adventure of all time. The Time Machine. I am your future. All right, let's get into it. Cody, Mm -hmm. tell me about H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. All right. So you know how we keep picking people that love framing devices? Who doesn't love a framing device? (laughs) So this opens with a dinner party. It actually opens in Media Race uh, with the time traveler having already explained that being in the midst of explaining his current his current experiment to a party of other gentlemen, most of whom do not get named, except for Philby, who is an argumentative gentleman with red hair, because we are in it for some old-timey stereotypes. It's always the gingers, man. Sorry, Kyle. <laughs> so, uh, he is explaining that he believes that you can actually travel through all four dimensions, even though he has an interesting sideway, side, uh, Tangent where he talks about how you can't actually travel uh, in space as freely as you think you can because balloons had only recently been invented, etc. Yeah. Gravity's a bitch. Yes. Water's a bitch. Going down is hard because there's ground there. Yeah. So basically he's like, you say that we can travel freely in all, in, in all dimensions of space, but it's actually kind of difficult. But I am creating a machine that will allow us to travel in all of the dimensions. Which, if you remember Jurassic Park, this is basically H.G. Wells being like, I want to fucking talk about this shit, and I'm going (laughs) to use this to do it. Here's my scientific paper disguised as a novella. (laughs) So H.G. Wells, uh, sorry, the, um, the time traveler explains his theory 
shows a model of the machine that he has made, um, sends this machine into the future, or so he claims, and then the dinner party breaks up. And our sort of narrator, we never get his name. We just know that he is someone who is listening to the time traveler talk. He uh, comes back for another dinner party and the time traveler is mysteriously absent because, spoiler, he's been traveling through time and got stuck in the past or stuck in the future. And he shows up about half an hour late for dinner. Uh, Weird that he's late, (laughs) what with the time machine having it all. (laughs) So he shows up late for dinner, and he's he's uh, pretty banged up. He's got a cut on his face. He's got some cuts on his knuckles. He's got, like, his foot's all fucked up. Um, and like he's, wrestling dinosaurs in the Jurassic. <laughs> and he's pretty dirty and scuffed. Uh, and so he's like, all right, I'm going to go take a bath and then have a plate for me, and then I'll tell you my story. And the rest of the book is just him relating the story of his week in the past. Why, why couldn't he just go to an hour earlier and take the bath and be on time for dinner? See... I'm so confused. Like, he's just being an asshole to be an asshole. The thing is, he, uh... He admits that he gets super disoriented when he uses the time machine, and he's just happy to be back in the present. His present. Gotcha. So he, um, he takes his bath, he comes back, and he starts eating, and then he launches into the story, which I can sum up as pretty much, I went into the future, I made a lot of really bad guesses about the people that were there, uh, I hung out with one of them for a while after I rescued her from her, possibly, we're not sure, from drowning, um, and then also there were these other creepy ape people that uh, stole my time machine, and I had to fight them with fire, and also I accidentally set a forest fire, and then I got back my time machine and escaped, and then I went 30 million years in the future, and I ran into giant crabs, uh, and almost got eaten by those, and then I went to the heat death of the universe, and then I came back to the modern time. And in the telling of his story, he produces some flowers from the future from his pockets, Uh, And so they're inspecting them, and then he finishes his talk, and everyone's like, well, that's, you made that fucking shit up. And they all go home, and then the next day, our unnamed narrator gentleman, unnamed teller of story, comes back, and the time traveler's like, got a a Kodak, specifically, and a knapsack, and he's getting back on the time machine, he's gonna travel through time again, because he's gonna bring back proof. And the, uh... The narrator is like, oh shit, I got this meeting at two, I gotta tell him, and he walks into the la- the uh, laboratory as uh, the time machine is disappearing, and he's like, well, I'm gonna break my two o'clock appointment, because I'm gonna wait for this guy to come back, and the book ends with him having not come back for three years. I like how you went into more details of the framing device and almost nothing of the actual meat of, like, the future. That is about as there's, much detail as he gives. There's more detail than that. They ha- no. The creatures have names. How does he learn their names? He never explains. He learns their names. <laughs> They're the L-O-I, L-O-I? Eloy. Eloy. The Eloy and the Morlocks. Okay, Eloy. I don't think they're pronounced in the movie either, honestly. Um, yeah, actually, yeah. And uh, what's the companion's name again? Weena. 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 Okay. Who, by the way, he leaves to die horribly in the forest fire. As you do. <laughs> um, 
okay, so it being a hundred page novella, mm-hmm. there's room to flesh it out for a movie. Um, they actually adapted this to a movie twice, once in 1960, uh, once in 2002. I've only seen the 2002 for now. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Um, so what they do for the movie is, you know, they got to give the time traveler a character. You got to give him a gritty backstory. At the very least, a name. <laughs> so we meet our time traveler. He is a... <clears throat> He's a, I think, an engineering professor, first year at Columbia University. His name is Alexander Hadigan. He is running some calculations on his board after class, and his buddy Philby comes in. Ugh, goes, Philby. Bro, you're fucking late. And he's like, oh shit, I'm late. <laughs> um, runs home, showers... Philby makes jokes about him still having that German pen pal who works in the patent office and he's a little weirdo. Kind of weird having a pen pal in Germany. I don't know. That Hitler... That Hitler fella? <laughs> Shit. <coughs> What's on your mind? <laughs> Nazis, obviously. He's like, I don't know. That Einstein fella's got some good ideas. Um, He goes to his date with his girlfriend, Emma. And they meet up at the park... And he promises her flowers, but he gets distracted from buying flowers by an automobile. But he gets to the park anyway. He doesn't have her flowers, but he produces a ring. He asks her to marry him while they're walking through this park. And she says yes, and they're all happy. And this man comes out of the woods and goes, oh, it's very kind. Or it's very nice of you guys. It's such a sweet moment. I'm afraid I'm going to have to rob you now. (laughs) And he pulls out a gun and he mugs them. And they give him everything but the ring. And when he asks for the ring, Hardigan goes, nuh and he grabs the gun, and the guy pulls the trigger and shoots Emma, and she dies. And the mugger goes, how, how could you let me do this? This is your fault. <laughs> Speaking of Nazis, scurries, a- <laughs> scurries away. Alex is fucking devastated. He spends the next four years basically ignoring his only friend Philby. He spends all his time in his laboratory on his chalkboard, working on calculations, and finishing and building his time machine. Hops in the time machine, throws that bitch in reverse, gets to the uh, park before earlier him gets to the park, grabs Emma, gives her a big old smooch, and goes, let's go into town real fucking quick. So he rushes her into town and she's like, but you promised me flowers. And he's like, all right, let me get you flowers. And he goes into a flower shop and she gets hit by a horse and carriage and dies. <laughs> I imagine it's, it's not the way you described it, but in my head, it's just like straight up Looney Tunes. Like she just gets flattened. <laughs> and the roadrunner's like, meep, meep, and just runs off like <laughs> totally wily coyote. Uh, like you just like hear it in the background and he comes out and just sees her corpse. is like, fuck. <laughs> He comes to a realization, basically. He can go back in the past a thousand times and try to save her a thousand ways, but the past will find a way to kill her. And he's having trouble accepting his fate, and he needs to know why. Why can I not change the past? Surely, someone in the future will have answers for me. So he goes to the far future year of 2030. New York City! A few things he sees there. He sees a billboard advertising living spaces on the moon. Because, uh, 
I guess Elon got his way in this universe. Uh, the other thing he does is he goes to the library, where he meets Vox, who is a photonic computer uh, built with hologram screens. So all throughout the library are just, just clear windows, and Vox will appear on the window, answer your question, talk you through some stuff. So he goes, hey, can you tell me a little something about time travel? And he's like, oh, I've got plenty of books on time travel. I got books by Harlan Ellison. I got books by H.G. Wells. I got books by Alexander Hardigan. And he's like, wait, what? <laughs> he's like, oh, Alexander Hardigan. Crackpot. Had theories on time travel. Disappeared in 1903. Presumed dead. Huh. Okay. But, like, somebody else has clearly built a time machine, right? And he's like, oh, you want to know about the time machine? The book by H.G. Wells? Or the 1960 movie? Or the musical by Andrew Lloyd Webber? <laughs> And he starts singing a fake song from a fake musical. It's actually fucking hilarious. I fucking love this scene. It was so dumb and so on the nose. I was like, you know what? Yeah, fuck it. Do it. But instead of asking about H.G. Wells as the time machine to know what he's about to get himself into, he walks away. Um. So wait, does that imply that H.G. Wells as the time machine is an actual factual historical recording in this universe in which case yeah uh hg <laughs> wells is the narrator and he used to go to dinner parties with alexander hardigan and hardigan disappeared one year and he wasn't sure why uh except for not because uh i'll get to it at the end yeah it kind of doesn't make any sense when you think about it <laughs> um so he goes back to his time machine and he's like guess i gotta go a little bit further to get my answers and he starts moving the knob forward and he sees time advancing around him in his little bubble and then all of a sudden the sky turns black and the earth starts to shake and buildings start falling and he slams on the brakes and he gets out and he sees some like army guys and he's like, what's going on here? And they're like, you need to leave the city. You're under arrest until we get you out. And he's like, why? They're like, are you fucking stupid? He's like, let's pretend for a moment I am. He's like, for the, the colonies, we blew up the moon. And then he looks up, and the moon is in pieces. The movie Moonfall is happening around him, and he's like, well, shit. And he fucks back into the, uh, he's handcuffed. He gets back into the time machine, knocks himself out with the lever facing forward. And by the time he comes to and hits the brakes, he, he's in the year, like, 8,000 to 7,30. 800,000. 800, it's yeah. different in the movie. Doesn't really matter. He's 800,000 years in the future. Uh, the Hudson River has eroded New York into a canyon. Um, life has pretty much ceased to exist and has re-sprouted. He ends up meeting a group of people, the Eloi. Elo Eloi. 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 You listened to an audiobook. They didn't yes. fucking say it in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Run like the wind. I've only read it in books. The He meets the Eloi, uh, specifically a woman named, not Weena, Mara. That's a much better name. It is a much better name. Um, everyone's speaking a different language around him. And he's like, I don't know what y'all are saying. And Mara appears and she's like, do you know what I'm saying? And he's like, you speak fucking English. And she's like, yes, I do speak the stone language. We teach all of our children the stone language, you know, as a joke. <laughs> um, the stone language being because what remains of New York City are the carved in granite names of buildings. So there's a cavern with a bunch of these stone carvings. So... Tiffany and Company, the plaque on the Statue of Liberty, shit like that. That's how they know English. Kind of adds to question some things about grammar and other shit. But anywho, um, 
he has a weird dream where like he imagines like the dragon something or other and underground caves and stuff. And he's like, well, that's fucking weird. So they go to uh, some place. I can't remember what it is that the Eloy like. And suddenly the Morlocks appear. They never come in day, but they showed up in day. They take Mara and suck her down into a sink pit. And he's like, well, this fucking sucks. Why do none of you fight back? And they're like, well, they take the ones who fight back first. So this civilization basically has no memory of the dead. They just are, are as docile and peaceful as possible. When it's their time to go, they go. Almost like livestock. But Alex, being a white man, <laughs> says, uh-uh, not I. And he goes to Mara's younger brother, who's the only other English speaker in the fucking community, because he's still learning the language. Um, and he's like, we're not supposed to talk about what happens, but there is the place where the ghosts live. And he's like, oh, what the fuck is this? So he goes to the place where the ghosts live, and who is there but Vox, the photonic brain, hey. to explain to him... So in the last 800,000 years, by the way, I'm the only one of these brains left. I'm all you got. <laughs> last 800,000 years, humans evolved into two species. After the, we blew up the moon, some humans remained on the surface of the planet, and they're peaceful and docile. And then the Morlocks were underground. When they tried to go above ground, the sun was too much for them, so they stayed underground. Basically, they just eat the Eloy. And he's like, well, that's fucked up. Have anybody ever escaped? And Vox is like, yeah, one dude escaped once, and he was the only friend I had for a while. I'm kind of losing my mind down here, dude. <laughs> so he's like, okay, cool. There's a way I can get in. How can I find them? And Vox is like, you know the way. Just follow the dream. So he finds his way down to the, the Morlock Society, um, ends up meeting the Uber Morlock, who explains to him that some Morlocks were trained for combat, there's the ones that go out to the surface and steal people. Some are trained for labor, and some were formed into the brains. And when I say the brains, I mean his brain literally extends down his spine. It's actually a pretty fucking cool a design. Xenomorph. What? Like a xenomorph head. Yeah, it's kind of like a xenomorph. It's just like open brain on his back. It's really interesting and kind of creepy and kind of cool. Kind of dug it. Um, he also answers Alex's question of why couldn't I go back and save Emma? And it's because... Her death spawned you to create the time machine. If you go back to save her, you never created the time machine. You dumbass. Created a paradox. Yeah. I could have figured that one out. And I'm stupid. <laughs> <clears throat> so, he gets fucking butthurt about it. Doesn't accept it. Gets in the time machine. Which, for some reason, the Morlocks have in their cavern. I don't remember how that happened. Um, goes way into the future to the year, like, 846 million. And Morlocks rule, which is weird that their empire has lasted that long and he's like well this isn't good so he goes back to the morlock cave and he goes to fist fight the uber morlock and he's like nah nah oh his big brain makes him psychic so the psychic dreams he was having are actual psychic dreams oh okay sorry didn't explain that before um so he and the uber morlock have a fist fight they fist fight onto the time machine activate the time machine start going to the future he pushes the Uber Morlock out of the time machine, but he's holding on via, like, hands around Alex's throat. And it's pretty cool, because, like, outside the protective bubble of the machine, his body just ages and dissolves away. Because time is progressing normally for that part of him, but not his hands. Uh, pretty gruesome if you think about it too long. 
Uh, he defeats the Uber, the Uber Morlock, goes back to the time, rigs his time machine to explode, blows up the Morlock. The Morlock? That's what I'm calling where they live now. He blows up the Morlock cavern, kills them all, and lives happily ever with the Eloy. And there's a little flashback at the end that shows Philby and his his uh, housekeeper lady, like, being friends or something and saying farewell to Alex because they realize he's not coming back. And that's why the H.G. Wells being the narrator canon doesn't make sense because he never comes back from this adventure to tell the story at the dinner. You know, I enjoyed it while I was watching it, but talking about it, it's kind of fucking stupid. There are some things I like. I appreciate them giving the time traveler some character. Giving him a reason beyond scientific exploration. Because you need that in a the movie. They, the implication in the book is basically just, like, he's described as being too clever. Uh, so basically, it's, it's just... He's just a smart dude that is like I he is he is the scientists in Jurassic Park. They never he was just like I'm going to make sure that I do this thing. I'm not going to stop to think if I should. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a lot of similarities to Jurassic Park in that sense. Yeah. I'm just like I'm going to do this thing. And he like completely fucks up a society. Like he's got a point treating basically humans cuz the Morlocks and the Eloy evolved from us, right? Yeah. Treating what is basically your evolutionary parallel as a source of food is fucked up. He's right about that. So... But also, the Uber Morlock says to that, uh, and what is time travel but your pathetic attempt to try and control the world around you? Your futile effort to have your question answered? So, in the book... You only get the time traveler's explanation for why society is the way it is. It's actually kind of funny because when I was in college, I took a class called Utopian Literature and we read through a bunch of the utopias, uh, so-called utopian literature that was around this time frame. We did not read The Time Machine, but... Um, <laughs> There's no utopia in The Time Machine. <laughs> uh, we read, for example, I think it's straight up just called Utopia, um, which is the same thing where it's basically like, instead of traveling in time, he just traveled around the world. And because the, they had not fully explored the world yet, it was like, oh, well, there's obviously these places that we haven't discovered yet that have dis that have solved all the problems of humanity. But in the time machine, you only have the time traveler's word to go off of. And his explanation for why the Eloy and the Morlocks exist is basically what it says in the movie, which is... At some point, humanity diverged, and his explanation for it is that rich people forced poor people underground. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, the people that were, the people that stayed above ground were the, and I'm quoting directly here, capitalists, <laughs> uh, and the laborers um, were forced further and further underground because rich people needed more space, etc. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually those adaptations became permanent. And that's why the Morlocks are well adapted to live in the underground. But because they were essentially symbiotic, uh, for a while at least, um, you didn't have issues 
like the Morlocks were fine with creating the clothing, etc., of the Eloy because that was why they were underground, and it didn't really become a problem until they ran out of food. Yep. Uh, and also, because they were symbiotic, they basically lost intelligence. So both Morlocks and Eloy in the book are not... He talks about them like they're animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is an interesting choice, considering the Eloy are literally livestock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Eat the rich, said H.G. Wells. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but basically, because they're... His first, expl- his first uh, explanation is that we have so subjugated nature that we didn't need our intelligence anymore. And then when he finds out about the Morlocks, he adds them to the picture and he's like, oh, we not only subjugated nature, we subjugated our fellow man. And now, because we have so completely subjugated everything, we lost all of our mental faculties. And that's... But the people that are underground still had access to the machines. And so they kind of retained like the initiative and that's why they're the ones that are more aggressive and violent, Hmm. Uh, which also, Hmm. That other book, the invisible man, you talk about the fucking, uh, how poor people are going to fuck with you. If you give them the chance, HG Wells, did you have some opinions about poor people? Like he's so close. (laughs) (laughs) He's so close to getting something right there. Um, and then, the other thing is that the time it's this is hinted at the end uh by the not time traveler narrator yes uh his buddy uh it's hinted that his the time traveler's view of humanity was that the more that we evolved and progressed we were essentially doomed to fall back into a dark age um, because there would come a point where we had reached the pinnacle of progress and there was nothing we could do but fall. Huh, interesting that he traveled forward into a future where that confirmed his worldview and opinion. Huh, neat. Uh, this also reminded me of um, A Canticle for Leibovitz. You've been trying to get me to read that, like, since we've met. I have. It is deeply funny. Um, I read this in 11th grade, and it is basically about what happens to the world after nuclear winter. Uh, and it's very, this book reminded me of it because the whole, like, ascending to the future, you assume that progress is going to continue indefinitely, but what if it doesn't? And it's basically, Mm. like, in A Canticle for Leibowitz, there is a nuclear holocaust that has happened, and um, the only thing, you've essentially come back to the Catholic Church being an order of monks that are the ones that are staving off the Dark Ages by copying manuscripts, etc. And it's basically just the evolution of society through, from the Dark Ages to the Renaissance to modern era, and then into another nuclear holocaust. Uh, but that that whole progression of like we are doomed to repeat this cycle of progression and then and then regression forever. I mean, there are theories that we are already in a second or third cycle of that now. Like there, people have found. I, I'm going to speak very carefully to not fall into the conspiracy theory nonsense here. <laughs> but there are artifacts in Southeast Asia that some people theorize predate humanity as we know it and are evidence of a past nuclear war unfortunately a lot of these people also agree or agree with the ancient alien theory which is based in white supremacy and also just a complete misunderstanding that uh the past also had fiction and these stories of space travel from uh 2000 bc are also stories like we have stories of space travel now like it's not fiction wasn't invented in the 30s but that's a whole (laughs) Different rant. 
Um, sorry to tangent you. I no, that's you're cut you off. You're good. It's it's funny because I actually wrote down one of the themes I wanted to talk about was anti-industrialism because I think it's more present in the novel than I recall. Yeah. Um, it's kind of kind of there in the movie a little bit. Um. Oh, uh, this is also something that's important. The novel takes place in England. Yeah. Um, the movie takes place in New York, which is weird because I think every actor they cast is British. <laughs> like Guy Pearce is Australian. Like, uh, yeah, because I like I realized reading through it again today because I thought H.G. Wells was American. Um, is he British? I believe so. Right. Um. Maybe they were just trying to sell it to an American audience and didn't think we'd care if it takes place in London. Yeah, that's probably um, true. An, an element of the movie that's not on screen but word of God confirmed is that the the Eloy, the people, live on uh, cliff sides, in like little holes in cliff sides, and those are skyscrapers. Yep. But through multiple ice ages covered in dirt. Yeah. Um, of course... Shouldn't make that joke, no. <laughs> no, but I want to know the joke. I'm not going to make a joke that this... But I'm not going to make that joke. <laughs> I'm going to have to do a lot of editing on jokes. I've already got two. <laughs> I've already got two. So, there is a lot of... Um, I took a couple of notes on spe spe uh, specific things that he mentioned in his travels. Uh, the first was uh, when he's talking about the first time he discovers how to get down to the Morlocks. Because mm. um, they've been feeling him up in his sleep for days, and he doesn't realize it. He thinks it's a dream. <laughs> oh, I just realized my uh, eyebrow wiggles aren't going <laughs> to... Can't hear them on the microphone. So uh, he's talking about how he tried to... He was... Um, trying to escape the glare of the sun because, quote, I don't believe I've told you how much hotter the sun was in this era than in our own. And I was just like, climate change! Oh, buddy, it gets hotter way sooner than 800,000 AD. <laughs> uh, but I also, I don't know enough about 18th century and 19th century astronomy or uh, geology or any of those sort of studies, but it seems that they had a theory that, um... Planets orbiting in space, and when I say I'm using planet very loosely, it's like any body orbiting in space. Uh, they thought that they all had to fall back into their primary bodies. So they thought that, like, shit would fall back into the sun when it was done. So that's why huh. that was his explanation for why the sun was hotter, was that one of those objects must have recently fallen in so it had more burning power. That's, uh... I mean... <laughs> It's not true. Also, but it's not bad. The obvious joke here is: Is it actually hotter, or are you just experiencing sunlight for the first time in your life, Mister Englishman? <laughs> or are you just a bitch? <laughs> uh, also, I have to talk about the carcinization with the giant crabs at the end. Yeah, because there were no giant crabs in the movie, and then you mentioned giant crabs, and I'm kind of mad there were no giant crabs. Giant crabs. Everything becomes crab. Every, there is one law in the universe. It is that creatures that are not currently crabs will become crabs. <laughs> Doing crab claws on my seat over here. Um, there is a uh, another section when he has finally decided that he's going to fight the Morlocks. Um, he has 
he go he finds he keeps calling it the palace of green glass or green porcelain and when he finally gets to it he realizes that it used to be a museum hmm. and so he's going through the museum and he gets to a what used to be a library and he just describes it as like a rotting husk of like met like tarnished metal clasps and like piles of what used to be paper and he starts a sentence with had i been a literary man and i was like <laughs> mr hg wells i can spot a self-insertion when i see one there's a, a bit when uh he goes to the place where the ghosts walk or whatever they call it which is like one remaining hallway of the central library where Vox is. And Vox is like, can I interest you in one of these stories? And he goes up to what looks like a book and he touches, like, it looks like a row of books, like, on any shelf, just dusty. And he touches it and everything just crumbles into white powder. There's <laughs> actually a cool effect. Like, there's some good shit in this movie. Um, should we talk about the movie a little bit more? Or do you have some more, uh... uh... I had a couple more. Yeah, give me some more. Um... I cannot tell you all about the explorations of that long afternoon, he says, two hours into explaining about what he did in the future. If only he had more time. <sighs> um, he later talks about uh, when he accidentally starts a forest fire. Um, he this, this is because he finds matches and camphor. Uh, in the museum and he knows that the only thing that staves off the Morlocks is fire because mm -hmm. they can't see um, and so he starts a small fire kind of to cover their exit because uh, he's like carrying Weena at this point um, and he starts this little fire and he's talking about like you have to understand that they don't understand like how rare fire is in the future like if you if you aren't used to it and you haven't seen it like you don't know what it's like and he starts describing different things and one of the things that got to me was he was like lightning may blacken and smolder but rarely does it start widespread fires and i was just like the future has some words for you bucko <laughs> sir Sir, I understand that you may be English, but spend some time in California. California, after uh, a few hundred years of us not letting the people who raised this land work on the land anymore. Yeah. Ooh, uh, related. Washington Post has a series out called Field Trip, a podcast series. And they go into that in detail with Yosemite, with how when they founded it as a national park, they kicked the indigenous people off the land who had been tending the forest for centuries and only now recently are inviting indigenous people back on the land. Like, you guys got to take care of this because we don't know what the fuck we're doing. <laughs> um, also, Mara survives in the movie. She does not in the book. Um, he... Well, technically no one survives anything in either because he goes so far in the future. <laughs> Fair. Um, so... What happens is they get attacked by Morlocks in the forest and he loses all of his matches and he's about to get, like, basically taken and eaten by them. But then his fire from before has actually turned into a raging wildfire and is now burning through the forest. Uh, and Oops. that Yeah, and so that saves him. So he turns tail and runs along with the Morlocks. He does not pick up Weena, who we, at this point, we don't even know if she's still alive because she has had an adverse reaction to the Morlocks. So he keeps checking on her to see if she's alive, and he never gets a clear answer. So he just leaves her. 
And he's like... <laughs> Schrodinger's Eloy. <laughs> so later, he's like, I went after the, after the fire burns out in the morning, he goes back and looks for her, and he's like, I, I could not find her, so they had... So I was convinced they had left her poor little body in the forest. Bitch, you served them a cooked meal. You know they eat her... You know they eat her kind. You did the work for them. Okay, question. Do they usually cook them before they eat them, or do they eat them raw? The, I believe they eat them raw. It's not... Oh, cooking that meat is going to ruin their bowels. <laughs> <laughs> he just gave a whole flock of Morlocks diarrhea. <laughs> Morlock shit all over the place. The other thing is, like, it's not clear, like, what if when he's being taken, they also take Weena. So it is also possible that they successfully stole her and spirited her away and are eating her anyway. Yeah. Um, so, like, come on, dude. It, it's kind of interesting, the parallel with the Emma, like, saving her just so she can die again, because that's what happens in the book, too, is mm-hmm. he saves her from drowning only so that she can accompany him and die along with him. Yeah. Like, or die alongside him, rather. Um... In his care. Yes. And, like, what... Is their relationship, like, explicitly romantic and or sexual in the movie? Not sexual. There are tinges of romance. Like, she has a younger brother and he helps care for him. So it's it's kind of like a new family type thing. I don't think it's romantic because he's still grieving. Every movie's about grief, as we talked about with Asteroid City. And this... A main theme of this movie is when you lose a loved one, you have to, at some point, let them go. It doesn't mean you gotta travel 800,000 years into the future and find a... Some men will literally invent a time machine instead of going to therapy. Elon. (laughs) That is an Elon Musk fucking move right there. (laughs) No, because it would work... Take me back, Grimes! I've got a time machine! It would just burst into flames. (laughs) Like it did in the movie. <laughs> I was going to say like a Tesla. <laughs> oh no, there's so many Elon Musk parallels. The moon colony. Oh no. The time machine exploding. Um, so, I don't think he did Twitter, but there's a there's a uber intelligent AI that hates existing. <laughs> that seems like an Elon Musk thing. That's his next project. It's a, it's a ner- it's the Neuralink monkeys. It's that like survived. the future of Neural. The Morlocks are all Neuralink monkeys. <laughs> So, so you mentioned that they can speak English. Yes. In, in the book, he only manages to get a couple of words, and he talks about how exceedingly simple their language is. Mm-hmm. Um, they do not speak English. He learns a couple of words in their language. Um, it's really strongly implied that both Morlocks and Eloy are barely are human in appearance only and with the morlocks even less like he goes out of his way to describe how horrible they are but he describes them as being like ape-like yeah Um, yeah and the he straight up describes weena as non-human like he says um her he describes her repeatedly as being childlike um she constantly is like he picks her up and carries her but it's not like when he first um, when he first meets her, she and saves her, she is very affectionate to him, and he describes it as like a minor flirtation. But then as the story progresses, um, it's mostly like almost like a 
parent-child relationship, except when you know more about what she is, it's more like a pet. Yeah. And it's... I feel like that fucks it up even more. It makes it, like, even worse, because it's like, come on, cat, you're gonna come with me to this horrible fucking death that I've created for you. It's like, grab Luna to go into the fire pits. (laughs) Luna, would would you help me in the fire pits? You would... Thank you. Yeah, no, they give the uh, Eloy a lot more agency. They have a they have a full language that they speak. They have cities and customs, and they you know take care of themselves. It's a society. It's just a society that's built around being eaten or, uh, as the Uber Morlock mentions, uh, sometimes used for breeding. Oh yes, he, he hints that Mara is going to be used for breeding. He describes that as uh, he. I feel like there was a lot of, like, 18th century Hay or, sorry, 19th century Hayes Code happening, where it's like, you can kind of talk about things sidelong. Like, he never, he never actually says the word cannibal, unless he's describing something that we know from the past. Right. It's all implication. Yeah. Um... And say he he well, talk- also bear in mind he's telling the story while eating dinner. Maybe he just doesn't want his dinner guests to lose their appetite. He does specifically call it uh, the meat that they're eating wholesome meat. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> um, yeah. Blessed by a rabbi. <laughs> Non-human. Oh. <laughs> Gross. Um, all right, yeah, let's talk about the uh, adaptation a little bit. Yeah. Let's talk about who made this fucker. <laughs> it was directed by Simon Wells. His previous work was The Prince of Egypt. And he didn't direct a movie again until Mars Needs Moms. This was his only live-action movie, and it destroyed his career as a director. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, how do you go from... You know, actually... If we're talking about killing babies, you might as well go from Prince of Egypt to this... <laughs> do you want to know how he went from Prince of Egypt to the time machine? I, I do, actually. Does that name look familiar to you? John Logan? No. Simon Wells. No. Are you sure the name Wells doesn't mean anything to you? No. Who wrote the fucking book? It's his great great grandson. Oh, great grandson, excuse me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Nepo, oh, nepo, nepo, baby. <laughs> oh, buddy. Yeah, Jim. <laughs> yep. Uh, it was written by uh, John Logan, who also wrote Gladiator and The Aviator. So, okay. this was like a weird year in his career. <laughs> okay. Um, Alexander Hadigan, as I said before, played by Guy Pierce, uh, who did Memento beforehand, went on to do The Hurt Locker. Such a weird... Okay. Your boy Philby was played by Mark Addy. He was in A Knight's Tale, uh, and he was Robert uh, Baratheon in Game of Thrones. Oh, boy. Okay. He was okay. Um, Emma, the wife, was played by Sienna Gilroy. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Love Actually. I think she's the one who was also in Aragon and Inkheart, two probable future episodes of this show. Uh, Yes. Also, I think it's Geary. Geary? I think so. I'll take your word for it. I I she, I do recognize she's barely, that. Name. She's only in the movie to die. <laughs> that's that's a pretty accurate summary of who she if it who I think who I think it is in Aragon that tracks. Yeah, um, the Uber Morlock is played by Jeremy Irons. Uh, Hell yeah, the Lion King. 
also Aragon. <laughs> Hell yeah! And Vox is played by Orlando Jones, uh, Evolution, Mad TV. He is a bright spot in this movie. Remind me in Evolution. Um, the black guy. I hate that that's probably enough. <laughs> um, I'm pulling him up right now to show you a picture. Okay. You'll recognize him. You've, you've seen him. Because that was in my head, and I was like, I don't want... We were just talking about old-timey this racism. Guy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, I know him more from Mad TV watching that as yeah. a kid. Yeah. Um, and Mara was played by Samantha Mumba. It was her first acting role. Uh, a few years prior, she had a hit song called Gotta Tell You. That's what I was listening to the other day. It was probably going to be the outro of this episode. <laughs> okay, question. Yes. The Eloy and the Morlocks. Yes. Was, how did they handle the... All of the Eloy were played by mixed race actors. Okay. Um, Thank you for understanding my question. Yes. And the only Morlock we see that wasn't just a pile of prosthetics... <laughs> was Jeremy Irons, and even he was a, a pasty white pile of prosthetics. Okay. I th- I'm pretty sure it was a, de- like a, a deliberate choice to cast uh, people of color in those roles. I think it kind of helped make a point about how the future of industrialism is going to just end with black bodies being consumed, either by the gears of capitalism, mark that off on your bingo cards, <laughs> Or, uh, like, literally as a source of food. It's Unfortunately, like, it's also white guy, Guy Pierce comes in and saves the day. It, it's it's kind of weird. It's really interesting because, like, in theory... So, he makes a specific reference. H.G. Uh, Wells makes a specific re- reference to the East End of London. Uh, when he's talking about the difference between the capitalists and the, uh, the laborers. Mm. Um... And I did a little bit of research on it because I don't, I'm not, I did not take English history. I'm sorry, I'm an American. I did take English history. I don't know shit. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I slept through that class. And so the East End of London was basically shorthand for the slums. It was notorious for poverty. I think it still is. Like, I think that's what East Enders is. It's about, like, projects, basically. Yeah, and basically, the the projects happened because prior to that, it was just fucking slums to the point that there were, like... It was, like, the tenements in New York. So I can understand the the comparison. Like, I I can see where you would get the idea to put this movie in New York. Yeah. Um, But we're talking, like, triangle shirtwaist type shit happening. Yeah. And um, the... He talks about how, like... Is the average life of a laborer in the East End, they're already almost cut off from the surface world. Like, at that point, you are almost already this subhuman thing. And I think it's interesting because the East End is also known for being where a lot of refugees ended up. Like, it's specifically known for that was where a lot of the Ashkenazi Jews fled during World War II. Um, In the 2010s, more recently, um, a lot of Bengali refugees have settled there and so it's that it's kind of that idea of like the the ones that aren't white enough um going there and it's just interesting how you shove them underground so far that they actually physically become white it's (laughs) interesting it's interesting how it changed in the movie though because the movie was made over 100 years after the novel was written and in that time there were a couple world wars there was, you know, a constant threat of nuclear holocaust for 30, 40, 50 years. Um, 
and it kind of changed and I believe it's spoken in the book Vox explains how the Morlocks and the Eloy came to be and I'm pretty sure he says that those that could afford it stayed underground when the moon crashed and it completely changes what happened in the novel where it's the rich that get eaten in the end <clears throat> where it's the rich that survive and continue to eat the poor Yeah, like that shift in the social understanding of capitalism happened in that hundred year period between the two and I, and I I, I find that very, very interesting how dated that becomes in the novel. It's also interesting because repeatedly the Morlocks, who are the poor people, are described as the ones who are like inhuman monsters. Mm -hmm. Again, H.G. Wells, you want to talk about poor people? Like, you got an issue with them? Like, he's he's real close to getting it, but not quite there. Yeah, no, I think, I think the movie handles that a little bit better. It's not on the nose, yeah, I, like I think they're trying to tackle broader themes about you know love and loss, like I said before, grief. Yeah, um, it's not an anti-capitalist movie per se, but those themes are are there under the surface. And if you, <laughs> God damn it, <laughs> stuff pun. Uh, the, th the themes are there if you want to look for them and find them. You can you can find something to to grab onto. Something else that I wanted to ask. So another thing that they talk about that the time traveler talks about being surprised and the reason that I specify he uses female pronouns for Wena but it's not clear that because their relationship mm. is basically master and pet that I it is they do not there's no sexual contact between them even implied yeah. uh, besides like kissing and affection um but he talks about basically how he can't tell the time traveler can't tell the difference between men and women he can only tell because like Occasionally, he will see them actually having sex with each other, mm -hmm. um, but there's no discernible secondary sex characteristics because they don't need it. Because essentially, they're not in charge of their own breeding. It's implied that the Morlocks kind of encourage them to do that, right. not interbreeding with each with the Morlocks, but like with each other, yeah, um, to create more. The way humans do with cattle. Basically, exactly. And that's straight up what he calls it by the end. He refers to them as livestock. Yeah. Um, and he uh, talks about how there's no... Everyone looks the same. Like, there's no... He describes it as a, quote, girlish rotundity of limbs, which is like, fuck you, dude. Uh, and then he also talks <laughs> about how there's... He sounds like a Republican politician complaining about the limbs. <laughs> <laughs> there's no facial hair or body hair that he can discern, and all of their hair is essentially my hair, which is... There is... Uh, it's like, you got bangs, and it stops at your, like, jawline, but everyone has that haircut. Yeah. Um, and so he can't determine gender and it kind of freaks him out for the first day that he's there which is which is kind of funny because that's kind of like almost utopic to me <laughs> as as we as a society continue to understand that gender is 100 percent just a construct as not related to what body parts we're born with i can foresee a future in which as long as nazis stop burning books here's looking at you gop um i can foresee a future in which 90% of the population is just non-binary and just lives androgynously and everyone's happy about it. Not to, like, yank in another dystopia novel. I've pulled in a bunch already. But it makes me think of um, the Ugly's Pretty Special series, mm -hmm. which 
the whole concept of that is you become beautiful and it's a standard, but the way that everyone is uh, enforced on that standard, it almost reminds me of what we're going through right now. And this is just what's happening on TikTok right now is the whole cancel tilt filter, which have you... Sorry, did you just say cancel with a lisp? So what the, what the fuck did you just say? Canthal tilt. It is the tilt of your eyes. Basically, if your inner eye is above your, basically, you could have a positive and negative, or a positive and negative, or a neutral canthal tilt. Either your eyes are directly across, your inner eye is higher than your outer eye, or your outer eye is higher than your inner eye. And apparently, having a negative canthal tilt means that you're a serial killer. That's all that uh, I've learned. But what in the phrenology is this? <laughs> exactly. It's just fascinating how we keep using technology to reinvent phrenology and dissect our faces further and further it's apart. So dumb. Faces and bodies. But Funny you mentioned Uglies, though. That's an upcoming film to be directed by McGee of X vs. Sever fame. Oh, God. <laughs> I forgot about that. Hello, future episode of the pod. Oh, I don't want... <laughs> it needs to be animated, for the love of God. Oh, no, okay. they won't. They won't. No, they won't. No. No, we won't be so lucky. So we've talked for an hour on this. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? It's 102 pages, at least the version that I read. It's it's very whatever. I understand why teachers assign it, but it's also mm-hmm. like... There's other more interesting utopian or dystopian novels that you can read. This also will only eat up about three hours of your time. Yeah. Oh, that was uh, that was the thing. The um, the audiobook that I got was narrated by. Um, oh my god, I can't bring it up now. Sir Derek Jacobi. Am I supposed to know that name? He was in Doctor Who. <laughs> of course he was. He was not a doctor. I believe he may have he may have been a Dalek. That tracks. Uh, but yes, it just made me laugh yeah. that that was him. Yeah, I have a I have an emotional attachment to the book because the time of my life when I read it and reading it parallel to Hitchhiker's Guide is when I started forming my own like philosophy on the world and how it works. And I've been formulating it in my head for the past, whatever it is, 20 years. Um, cause and effect and how that affects things. The, the theory of time, how would time travel actually work. Got me into movies like Primer and shit like that. Um, yeah, I'm a fucking nerd and I like time travel. I think it's cool to think about and it's, it's fun to like... It's a fun... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Thought experiment. Um, the movie, on the other hand... So... Visually, it came out in a time post-Jurassic Park, just barely post the first Lord of the Rings, but not pre, or but still pre-Two Towers. So it's in an era where CG is usable and prevalent, but only when absolutely necessary. So it's still fully... um, built sets it's a pre uh what's that movie sky captain in the world of tomorrow oh, where they're like we're gonna shoot a whole movie on green screen and as bad as that movie is what did it fucking spawn because they don't build sets for movies anymore but this is one of those movies that's like it's shot on sets and you can see that a craftsman built this morlock cave the time machine itself is one of the i think it was the biggest and most expensive prop 
in a movie at the time. Like, there's still handiwork and craftsmanship. Like, all the Morlocks were pyrotechnics unless they were running really fast. That's the only time they use CG for the Morlocks. Uh, prosthetics, not pyrotechnics. Did I say pyrotechnics? Yes. Shit. <laughs> prosthetics. All the Morlocks were prosthetics, except for when they were CG because they were running and stuff. And, of course, the time travel sequences were CG as, like, the world is changing around the time machine. But, like, it was money shots for CG or necessary effects for CG. It wasn't just backgrounds, you know? So I still have, like, a nostalgia for that era of movies. Unfortunately, visually, it reminds me of movies like Battlefield Earth. Um, There's another one it really reminded me of. Oh, Lost in Space. Uh, Shit like that. Like, not quite enough money put into it to make it look good. Um, A huge complaint about the movie from the filmmakers at the time was that they made a last-minute decision to shoot the Morlock prosthetics in daytime instead of at nighttime. So they were designed to be shot at night, and they looked like shit in the day. I didn't think they looked terrible. I was just happy to see an actual physical monster on screen. But that's looking at it, you know, 20 years after the fact. Day for night, bridge on the River Kwai. Like, oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me fucking started. You can see the reflection of the sun in the water. Um, and that's a good movie. No, but I'm, I'm so used to seeing movies like The Avengers when you've got 800,000 Kroll coming down or whatever they are. Don't shoot me, Marvel nerds. And they're all CG and they're all nothing. But in this movie, you've got three or four Morlocks, but they're physically in the world with, you know, Guy Pierce, who's doing his own stunts, which of is course, fucking Guy cool. Pierce. Like, good for him. I love that. I hope they still had a well-paid stunt team that didn't lose their jobs because of it. But also, I fucking love when a dude does his own stunts, because then you can film it better. That's why Jackie Chan action movies work. Um, That's why Tom Cruise action movies work, because he's trying to kill himself every time. But I digress. I enjoyed the movie while I was watching it. I watched it two days ago. It's fucking Teflon on my brain. I haven't thought about it once since until I started taking notes today to do this. So, it's it's not a hit. It's not a miss. It's not offensive. It's a movie that happened... Um, of course, as we alluded to earlier, they did do another movie in 1960. I requested it from the library, and it did not get here in time. <laughs> but this Saturday, the whatever of August, was it the 10th of August? Uh, Saturday the 10th of August, uh, at some point during the day, I'm going to get on Twitter on the show account and I'm going to watch the movie and I'm going to live tweet the 1960 movie. Is it the 12th? Yes. What day is today? Today Today's is the 7th. The 7th. Yeah, what, what you said, the 12th. <laughs> this episode drops on the 10th. That's where I'm confused. Um, so yeah, Saturday the 12th, I'm going to get on Twitter on the show account at SoonMajorPod. Uh, uh, Twitter, yes, I'm still calling it Twitter. I will not call it the other name, Elon. You... Until you stop deadnaming your child, I will continue to deadname your website, you fucking prick. Correct. Don't deadname trans people, deadname websites. Yes. Um, but that'll be coming. I'll watch that, talk about it a little bit, give you time to listen to the episode, and then maybe even join me if you want. I don't fucking give a shit. Speaking of offensive... Uh, what, the next movie we're doing? Yeah. It is known oh. to be so day of recording uh, unfortunately we lost a great director William Friedkin and what I wanted to do 
was due his movie Sorcerer for our next episode, based on the French novel The Wages of Fear. Because the original Wages of Fear movie is one of my favorites, and I want to see William Friedkin's uh, remake. Unfortunately, can't find that book fucking anywhere. <laughs> we have not checked our local, local bookshop. Shout out, Iliad. You are, you are... If Iliad has bro. it, we're doing it. But if not, next time around, we're going to do The Exorcist. Yes. Um... I... The Catholic Church hates it, which means it must be good. <laughs> I am going to have some opinions on this book, I'm sure. I am uh, going to enjoy watching the movie again. It's a well-made movie, what can I say? <laughs> uh, but until then, Cody, where can they find you online? Uh, I can be found, technically I'm still on Twitter at Pretty Special. Um, however, I'm much less active there now. I'm slowly transitioning over to the new website, Blue Sky. Yeah, we got them codes, motherfuckers! Hell yeah! Uh, and that is also pretty special, but spelled differently. I'm gonna make Bill drop both of them in the... I'm, I'm dropping none of them now. <laughs> I'm dropping none of them. I'm not even gonna put it there. Um, I'm on uh, Twitter and Blue Sky and Instagram if you want to follow me there, I'll post. And Letterboxd and TikTok at Mr. Billy Beck. Did I get them all? I think uh, I got them all. I think so. Um, you can also find the show on Twitter. Just on Twitter still, at SoonMajorPod. As soon as I get another invite code, I'll put a show account on the Blue Sky as well, but that'll that'll come. Um, but until next time, uh, enjoy this uh, Billboard-charted single God. from the woman who played Mara in The Time Machine. <laughs> Oh. Which, when I listened to it earlier today, it was the first time I'd heard it probably since it was on the charts. Oh, Lord. Oh. Have mercy. Uh, fuck, I've got two days to edit this shit. Good thing I put in all those jokes for you to edit out. Fuck you.